Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Amen. Thank you, Clay. And uh, not only is it a beautiful song and beautifully delivered, but it's so much what we're talking about and thinking about as we kick off this new series, The New Normal. And we're thinking about what it means to be in a limited new normal, uh, specifically this morning. And, and I want to say this as we kind of kick off this series. There's some things I'd like to talk about as a congregation. There's some things I'd like to talk about as individuals. Uh, I, I think there's a way for us to be honoring to God as we navigate this new normal, the things that are happening around us. And so I, I just want to kind of start off by sharing with you from Isaiah 43, and I, I want you to take these words to heart. Forget the formal things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness, and I am making a stream in the wasteland. I just want you to let those words kind of sink in. Forget the former things. I think sometimes when we go through a period of time like this, we, we can't wait for it to be over. We can't wait to get through it. We want things to get back to normal. But I want to suggest to you that there are some things we do not need to allow to go back to the way they were. That this is awakening something not only in us, but in our culture, but in the life of our church in which we, we don't need to go back to where we were. We need to go forward to where God intends us to be. We're not going to go back and be the same way we were a while back. We're going to be eternally different because of this time and this season, because that's how God intends things to work. I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Are we so in love with how things used to be, with longing for the way things ought to be, or how we got comfortable with them being, that we cannot sit in this space and simply invite God to, to teach us and show us what is this new thing? So I, I just want to ask you at the beginning a few questions. Are you willing to not dwell on the former things? Whatever that looks like in your life, former job, former relationship, former whatever it is, former normal, are you willing to stop for just a moment in these next few weeks and allow God's Word to speak in such a way that you say, I I'm not going to dwell on the former things. I'm not going to spend time and energy longing for something that used to be. Instead, I want to ask you if you would prayerfully seek after God's new thing. His new thing for you, His new thing for your work, His new thing for your finances, His new thing for the future, His new thing for the church, His new thing for community, His new thing. Are you willing to stop dwelling on the past and begin to prayerfully seek what it is that God intends to bring out of this? In all things, He works for our Good. We believe that. We talk about it. It's a part of His Word. But is that a part of our personal psyche in these days as we make our way through this process? Just so you know, it's true that isolation uh, has an impact on us. 
we're getting our heads around this new normal. We're getting our heads around how it works. And, and so just so you know that, um, more and more things happen to us psychologically. And uh, that's actually a whole science. We're going to talk you know, a lot about research in the next few weeks. And I'm going to share with you different studies. And uh, some of them are really very, very current uh, to help us maybe cope a little bit better. But one of the things that the research is showing and one of the things that I think is, uh, we're experiencing is the reality that we're worried about ourselves, we're worried about people around us, we're worried about getting sick. But more and more, we're starting to slide into a place that is very much in keeping with what our culture does. And what our culture does is it decides, determines, wants to know who's to blame for what's happening. And, and I'm starting to observe a lot of folks who are posting on Facebook or Instagram or sending out things that have to do with who's to blame for what's happening. Listen, I, I just want to emphasize this. I, I don't know that that's very productive. I, I, I don't know that we're going to be able to resolve. And maybe in this one situation over COVID-19 and the pandemic, maybe at some point there'll be some absolute answer. I don't know that we would believe it. But the point would be this, maybe this has some ultimate blame or cause, but there's going to be a lot of things in life that don't. And spending time and energy trying to figure that out and trafficking in that is robbing us of the thing that I believe matters most. How do we respond to what is? We can't just spend our time and our energy back here trying to figure out why when there's something that's to be done now, there's a, there's a way in which you and I are to allow the kingdom of God to deal with what is happening. And so I want to encourage us in our homes and our families that we, we really begin to think about what that looks like. Emma Gray Ellis, in a recent article specifically about how the coronavirus is impacting us and our isolation, uh, has pulled together a great deal of research. It's important for us to remember, she says, that isolation doesn't just numb your brain with boredom. People start to get lethargic and they don't, when they don't have positive inputs into their small worlds, she says. So I don't know about you, but maybe you know, your brain doesn't feel very you know, sharp. You feel sluggish. You feel lethargic. The truth is, when we are not interacting with other people socially... When you go to the store and everybody has to wear a mask, when your interaction is just with a small circle of people, there are actual things happening to us psychologically and physiologically. So if you're feeling sort of antsy and, you know, like you're crawling out of your skin, hey, it's normal. It's a part of the new normal. These symptoms are likely to be particularly intense during this coronavirus isolation. Studies show us that the natural outcome of being denied these positive inputs is anxiety and depression. That, that, that's the natural outcome when you've been isolated for a little while. And so that's, the, that's not unusual for us. So how are we going to cope with that? Even what we're doing in this moment, how we're gathering together, how we're finding a way to socialize. I hope you're just going crazy and commenting. I hope you're sharing with each other. I, I hope that there is a, a recognition that we need inputs into our small worlds and that there is, a, by God's grace, a method by which we might do that. And so it matters to us in these moments. 
Uh, we're told that uh, what happens in the research is that this depression and anxiety, if you told someone you're going to be isolated for uh, eight weeks, uh, we're told that if you knew when the end point was that you would do great for about four weeks, but if you knew that in eight weeks it was all going to be over and you made it through four, something happened psychologically halfway through uh, a time of isolation and separation. And that is, our emotions get tired and our brains get tired and we become uh, uh, more uh, uh, vulnerable to depression and to anxiety and to lethargy and to just feeling blah. So if you're feeling that way, that's a big deal. Now, the parameters of that study said that's what happens when you know when the end point is. In this situation, we don't know when the end point is. So all of these symptoms are heightened because we don't know what is the end point. We don't know when this will all resolve. And then also included in her article was a study that how does this affect us physiologically? And this to me is stunning. So this is not just about feeling some psychological things. Isolation has a way of impacting our physical bodies. A study out of Brigham Young uh, says this, that a lack of social connections heightens health risks as much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day are consuming alcohol in an abusive way. She also found in the study that, that uh, isolation is twice as harmful to our physical health as obesity. So something's going on. This is a big deal. And I really, I, I just cite all of that research to say, what happens to us as we do this is we think it's just me. You think it's just you. You think, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to work harder. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to think differently. Oh, you know, we pray about it. Help me. Listen, this is a big deal. It's a big deal. So give yourself a little grace. Take a deep breath. Recognize that this is a big deal. It, it takes a very significant amount of energy a very significant amount of self-discipline and process in order to get through this. And we're getting through this together. And let's savor this time we get to share together and think together about what is going on. Maybe uh, you remember uh, a few months ago we had a conversation that included uh, a book uh, called The Paradox of Choice uh, by a, a scholar named Barry Schwartz. And in it he talks about the power of choice and what happens to us and basically what he says is, in our dogma uh, as a country, as a Western thinking country, uh, we equate freedom with choice. We make freedom the greatest asset a human can have, and, and we believe that the more choice a human has, the more freedom that they have. And so if you just stop for a moment and you just thought about that science and how that looks at how people think, and how we work, then we don't have as many choices today as we had a few weeks ago. And that would naturally mean that if more choices make us feel like we have more freedom and therefore more worth and more value and we have a better sense of well-being, then less choice would immediately take away from that. Now, I want to remind you that what that study and book found was it found that more choices at some point become overwhelming. And I'm guessing that for a lot of us, we have found that the limited number of choices has been refreshing. It's actually been nice for us to not have as many choices. And so somewhere in this thing, there's a lot of stuff happening to us. Psychologically, physiologically, there's a lot of things going on. And when I think about how we 
handle that and how that works for us, it seems to me that, that nothing could be more important than for us to look together into God's Word and to talk a little bit about how God's Word talks about these new normals and how they come to people in the seasons of life. It's a season of change. It's a season of reevaluation. It matters that we take from this experience the lessons that it has to teach us. That we don't dwell on the former things, but we are open, prayerful, seeking God's new things. The way that He makes as we go forward. That we allow this season and the events that have enveloped our world to change us. To make us genuinely different. To give us a genuine new normal. We're not just waiting for this to be over so we can go back to the way things are. We're going to remember how important connection and community is to us. We're not going to take it for granted. We're not going to substitute proximity for real community and relationship. This has reminded us, this has taught us, this has called out and made specific to us how blessed we are. How our normal daily lives are valuable to us. How much we value walking into a store and smiling at people or having someone smile at us. How the freedom to sit down in a restaurant and have food and, and, and choice and to say, hey, let's go on a vacation or let's take a trip. Or, these are lessons that matter to us. I, I wonder how many weeks post-pandemic, post-isolation, post-safe at home before we start to complain. Let's not. Let's, let's let this new normal take hold in us. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And you and I are invited into that conversation. We're going to share this series out of the book of Philippians uh, Philippians is a, a unique book because it, it is motivated out of joy. The, the city of Philippi is important in, in the story of the New Testament. It was, uh, the church was established there on Paul's second missionary journey, uh, probably in the early 50 A.D., 52 A.D. Uh, the city was established by Philip of Macedon. If you know your history, he was the father of Alexander the Great. The city of Philippi sits about 10 miles north of the ancient city of Neapolis. Neapolis was a, a major port. It sits on the Aegean Way, uh, uh, the Ignatian Way, which is the, the great uh, highway that the Romans built connecting the Adriatic and the Aegean Sea. And so it's, this, it's a very vital city. Paul goes there. Uh, it's his first European city that he visits. His first convert is, is a woman named Lydia. Uh, and it becomes this very important City, But what makes this book so unique is that Paul writes this letter to inspire the joy for the people who are there. They've sent him a gift. They've sent him a messenger and a gift. Uh, the messenger's name is Epaphroditus, and the gift is a, a monetary gift so that he is able to eat and, and, and supply his needs. And they've sent him this gift, and they've sent him this person, Epaphroditus, because he's in prison. He's in prison in Rome. And this is probably likely his early imprisonment because he talks about his release and we know that he was in prison early and then released and he has some more missionary time before he is imprisoned again and ultimately is martyred for his faith. But 
But this occasion of the writing is that Epaphroditus has been ill and he's gotten well and now Paul is sending him with a letter back to the church at Philippi. So Paul, in his new normal, a limited new normal, imprisoned, trying to figure out how to do his missionary work in these very weird, odd, limited circumstances, is writing a letter about how to be joyful in the midst of what you're going through. And it seems to me that this is the perfect letter for us to explore over these next few weeks to figure out what is going on in Paul's life and what is going on in his logic. One other little side note that I think is important uh, that's just for fun, trivia, this is no extra charge because I know how much you all love history. And that is uh, the city of Philippi sported one of the leading medical clinics, leading medical schools in the world. And so at, at this time, speculation, scholars believe, that Luke, St. Luke, would have been educated in Philippi in that medical school. It's how he became a doctor. Uh, we're getting ready to do this uh, study on the Gospels and uh, Acts. Uh, as you know, Luke writes Luke and Acts, He's two volumes of those, and, and this is likely the city in which he was educated and became a doctor. And so uh, just a little trivia, that's free. You don't have to remember it. It won't be on the test or anything like that. So the letter to the Philippians is about encouragement. It's about uh, teaching them how to thrive in this new normal. And so how do we continue to do the things that we need to do when the limitations are very real? Listen to what Paul writes. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. I, I would suggest to you that, that we could have read this back in February or January, and, and it, it would have had a very different meaning to us. But to recognize Paul imprisoned, writing a, a letter of joy to his friends, to the people that mean so much to him, you can feel the weight and the power and the emotion. And what I observe in this is I see five things that Paul calls out in a very specific way. And so I would just like to kind of address those and say this, how do you thrive in a limited new normal? Well, here are some things that Paul paid attention to that might be important for us. Number one, if we're going to thrive in a limited new normal, we need to pay attention to our attitude. I thank my God every time I remember you. I don't know about you, but if I said to you, I think that's the challenge. I think that, that makes a big difference in how we're going to get through this. That you and I, I don't know what's coming out of your heart, mind, spirit, mouth, interactions, but he's talking about people he knows. He's talking about human beings. He's not talking about humankind. He's talking about 
individuals whose name he knows, whose habits he knows, whose irritating attitudes he knows. He's talking about real individuals. And this is what he says. I thank God every time I remember you. If you want to thrive in limited circumstances... It has something to do with an attitude that is able to be thankful for people who we know. Not just that we love the masses of people, our other people, our people who we cannot be with at this moment, but we practice in this new normal how to have an attitude that is truly and deeply thankful for the people around us. That it matters. It turns out it matters that you and I have this spirit of thankfulness. It is so easy to become petty. It is so easy to become irritated. It is so easy to become annoyed. It's so easy to spend time debating what's the cause of all of this. Isn't there a better way for us to behave in the middle of it? Isn't there a better way to say, I'm not going to waste energy trying to figure out why. I'm going to figure out how. How do I live? How do I thrive in this limited new normal? One of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to be thankful for the people around me. I'm going to let that ooze out of my pores because it matters. Number two, if we're going to thrive in a limited new normal, we're going to have to pay attention to our purpose. In all my prayers, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There's joy for Paul in his limited circumstances because he's connected to these people in the purpose of their lives. We talked about purpose last week. Connection and community is not simply about proximity and availability. I want to say that again. Connection and community is not simply about proximity and availability. It's about committing together to a purpose that is worth our time and worth our energy and worth our sacrifice. And, and I wonder if part of what is happening to the, to the church of Jesus Christ right now is that God in some way is saying, you people may have been substituting proximity and availability for genuine connection and community. You, you may have been content to walk into a room and be in proximity to one another without actually being in connection and community with each other. And I wonder if God is saying, here's a time when I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Don't try to go back. We don't want to go into, back into a mindless kind of gathering. We, we want to show up when these doors get opened up and we get to gather again. We want to value each other. We want to give God thanks every time we think of each other. And we want to reach to each other in a whole different kind because we are bound by a common purpose and this purpose binds us in a kind of community that is unique in the world. And we want to celebrate it. And we want to love and enjoy what that looks like. This purpose is bigger than ourselves. It's shared value. It's shared passion. It's, it's a belief that some things are bigger than our little stories in our little lives. That we're a part of deep time and a deep story. And we share it in common. And we come together to be empowered and equipped and to push that work forward together. If we're going to thrive in a limited new normal, Paul says we need to have faith, number three. Being confident of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If we ever needed a season of biblical optimism about life and society and culture and the world and the economy and the future, it's right now. And that optimism is not based on the circumstances and it's not based on the fallible human beings that are making the decisions that are shaping what's happening around us. It turns out that the optimism has to do has everything to do with the God we love and believe who loves us. It doesn't really matter what the governor does. It doesn't matter what the mayor does. It doesn't matter what the municipality does. It doesn't matter what the president does. It doesn't matter what the CDC does. It doesn't matter what the, the, the WHO does. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you and I understand that whatever's going on in all of these things, God is working for our good. He is faithful to bring to completion through whatever wilderness, whatever wasteland we go through, His purposes. And as the people of God, shouldn't we be the people who, who share, who bubble up with that optimism? We're not trafficking in the garbage. We're, we are sharing together hope. you got to have faith in difficult times. You've got to have something to hang on to, vision, something that lifts us, something that pulls people forward. And Paul, in his limited circumstances in prison, he's not bemoaning how he got there. He's not talking about the injustice. He's not talking about his innocence. He's talking about his confidence that God will see it through to completion and that all of us can rest in that and celebrate it. And it's a cause for joy. And it's a cause to be confident. I just want to ask you, are you confident? Is there any part of you that's confident that God's in control? Maybe you and I were surprised by this, but God wasn't. And, and, and can you be confident? <laughs> Being confident of this, that he who began the good work will be faithful to see it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We ought to have a little confidence and a little faith. If we're going to thrive in a limited new normal, we need depth. We need depth. We need attitude. We need purpose. We need faith. We need depth. Listen to what he writes. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in change and defending and confirming the gospel, uh, all of you share in God's grace with me. Relationships are built on something more than proximity and availability, as I said before. I think sometimes we have substituted proximity for depth. And Paul's confined. He's limited. He's building this uh, new uh, normal. He's experiencing genuine life-giving relationship in the middle of this confinement. For him, what binds us together? What is it that gives us sort of this idea of depth so that it is appropriate that we feel this deep affection for one another. It's appropriate that we miss each other. It's appropriate that we long to be together. It's appropriate. It's appropriate because there's a depth that binds us. And what he highlights is that here's what binds us, commonness. And he speaks about a couple of things. What binds us is that we have all experienced the grace of God. That's what binds us. All of us are bound together because we have desperately needed the grace of God. We have messed up. We have blown it. We have fallen on our face. We have failed. There are things about ourselves we don't like. There are things about our story we don't like. There are things that have happened to us. There are things that we have done. And we 
have experienced a God who loves us anyway. And, and, and depth of relationship comes from commonness. And here's a common experience. I was a mess and God helped me. And if you haven't experienced that reality, then that's always an issue. Whoever is forgiven much loves much. I'm a mess and God loved me anyway. I failed and God forgave me anyway. I didn't deserve it, but God treated me well when I didn't deserve it. It's called grace. It's unmerited favor. And I have this common experience with so many others, so much so that I have deep affection in my heart for them because not only have I experienced the grace, I offer the grace. And we have this experience in common. This is a commonness that marks our lives and it marks us going forward. Depth not only comes from a commonness of experience and the experience of grace, it comes from a commonness of purpose, which we've already highlighted. We're here to change the world. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We got work to do. We got something to accomplish. But then there's one other commonness. We have a common father. We're family. We have a common father, and this father loves us. And this father gathers us. And this Father calls us by name. And this Father doesn't play partiality between His children. He loves all of His children. He wants us to love each other. Just like all you moms want all your siblings, all your kids to get along with one another. You want them to esteem each other. You want them to honor each other. You want them to love each other. You want them to care about each other in all their diversity and all of their mess and all their annoying habits. You want them to be nice to each other. And our Father wants that out of us too. So this connection, this real community, this thriving in isolation happens because of an attitude of thankfulness, a common purpose that we share, faith, optimism, and depth. And finally, the last one, vision. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. This is a summation of what it means to connect in this new normal. Connection is not limited by the new normal, but it has to be healthy in brand new ways. Can't you envision a love that abounds between us, that's not rooted in proximity or availability, that it's rooted, it's rooted in knowledge and depth of insight? It's rooted in the fact that we are maturing and aging and growing and, and getting better and better. As we sit in this isolation, we're, 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 we are maturing in ways we would never mature. And some of us are saying, I just can't wait to get back to normal. Please, please, let's live in the new normal. We're not just surviving, we're, we're learning what it means in a season of life to, to allow God to, to season us and nurture us and mature us and teach us some through things. Who, who would not want to walk back into a reality that has a deeper genuineness, a deeper appreciation for one another, a deeper, deeper kind of fruit that we bear with one another, a kind of maturity, a, a nourishing kind of relationship that, that we no longer take for granted our proximity and availability, but we celebrate genuine community and genuine connection. So as I close, I just want to ask you, 
Are you willing in this season of life to seek whatever God's new thing might be? Are you genuinely willing to prayerfully forget the former things? To not dwell on the past? And to have a deep sense that God is making a way through this wilderness? This wonderful letter is going to guide us, and we're going to, we're going to rise and fall and, and carry through Paul's emotions as he expresses what God is doing in this limited new normal. I just want to be sure that our hearts are prepared for that. As a band comes back, I want to pray over you. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that in all seasons of life, you are working for the good. And that you have something to teach us. You want something out of this. You're not wasting these days. You're not asking us to figure out why they're here or how they got here. You're challenging us in the way in which we would live in the midst of this. That the measure of our faith is what we do in times like this. And so I'm praying today that in this new normal, this limited new normal, you would challenge us in how we might thrive. I pray an attitude of thanksgiving. I pray that you would create a deep sense of purpose in us that binds us together. I'm asking, God, that you would speak into the reality of of our community and how we connect together and our vision going forward and Just help us. I pray your grace and blessing. I I pray over the moms who are celebrating today. I ask you to bless those celebrations. Thank you for who they are. Thank you for those homes and families and, and, and homeschooling and distance learning and all the craziness. Would you empower them? Give them strength. For those that mourn this day, I pray your grace and comfort over them. And I ask you to lead us. May we never, as a congregation, substitute proximity and availability for community and connection. Teach us what you need us to learn so that we may be the people you want us to be. And remind us that we are confident of this, that he who began the good work is seeing it through to completion. I pray that blessing over every home and every family. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.